Welcome to the next episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. And today, Gemma and I are thrilled to be joined by Alexandra P. Moore, Director of Nature Governance at the Earth Law Centre. Alexandra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's a real pleasure. So shall we kick off then with an introduction to yourself and the work you're doing at the Earth Law Centre? Okay, so um, as you said, I'm the Director of Nature Governance and um, I will start by explaining this title because what does it mean to be Director of Nature Governance? Um, It does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that I am, you know, governing nature (laughs) because nature governance is not about human beings being in charge of nature. Um, The full term really is nature conscious governance. Um, which is about integrating nature consciousness back into human systems. And by that, I mean, you know, whether it's our economic systems, our, you know, business systems, our political system, our educational systems, these are all systems that we human beings have created for ourselves. And I stress this point because if the human rights were to disappear, none of these systems would exist. So they are inherently anthropocentric, human-centered, but they are also inherently, you know, anthropocentric in approach, in culture, in practice, meaning that we are focusing primarily on ourselves and we are looking at the world as though it is, you know, um, a plaything as though we have dominion. There is this whole story of superiority and dominance of the human race over the rest of the earth community. Mm. So when we talk about nature governance, we are talking about how can we reimagine, recreate, re-engineer our governance system from a nature conscious perspective, where we understand that as human beings, we are nature, we're not above it, we're not apart from it, we are an expression of nature, we are an element of nature. And we have to start, you know, practicing um, and embodying uh, our, our, I I don't know how to to say it, but our our (laughs) human-ness, our human being from from an ecocentric perspective. So as a director of nature governance, my role is to lead on our programs, which are ecocentric programs, and it's essentially um, to represent the voice of nature in organizations. So the Earthal Center is uh, historically very well entrenched into the rights of nature movement in terms of advocacy, education, policy influencing, movement building, um, And the Nature Governance Program is an offshoot, but it's taking a different tangent. So from the rights of nature movement, which is specifically looking at the legal systems, right? So we're looking at educating and training and supporting lawyers and judges and any other legal advocates in changing um, legislation, in changing jurisprudence, in um, providing nature with legal personhood or or, um, you know, any number of rights for rivers and and trees and so on. So it's a very legal-centric approach. 
nature governance is going into the voice of nature strand where we are looking at how do we offer nature a voice, a place, a stake in our systems. So nature here becomes a stakeholder. Nature then is heard and is therefore represented. And the the nature governance stream is anchored not just in the giving nature a voice, but in encouraging human beings to take responsibility. So it's a responsibility-based framework as opposed to merely a rights-based approach because where there is a right, there is a responsibility. If we give nature rights, we have to be very clear that that means we are responsible for creating that right, for protecting that right, for enforcing that right. So, uh, and the responsibility also comes from not just you know, in the legal perspective, protecting and defending that right. But before that, preventing the erosion of these rights. And that comes from human beings becoming responsible, becoming conscious of their responsible of their responsibility for the whole of nature. So that's my job. My job is to wow. take our team. We call our team the wildflowers <laughs> because they tend to be uh, a team of uh, interns and uh, professional volunteers who come and join us. And everybody brings in their own brand of magic and their own brand of absolutely amazing vision and purpose and mission to, uh, to this incredible project. So the team is working on bringing the voice of nature through nature on the board, for instance. And that, that is one of the biggest um, example, <laughs> one of the most potent and relatable example, I think, of what we are doing. I love that. I mean, what, what a remit to have giving nature a voice because, you know, climate change, climate change is the, the headline, isn't it? The headline target and, and all the discussions around carbon and decarbonisation. But actually, climate change has come about because we've messed with nature so much, haven't we? We've we've taken away so much deforestation with the oceans warming up. All the signs are showing that we as human beings by our activity have pushed out of balance what nature has by on its own set itself up to do with you know the the carbon cycles and all of these things so given that the climate climate is the headline target but the reality is we need to put all of our efforts as well into regenerating nature don't we we've taken so much or biz- and business has taken so much from nature that we absolutely need to start putting nature back in don't we for us to to readdress that balance uh, as well as giving nature a voice uh, and getting people to understand the importance of it. Yeah, it's very interesting, uh, actually, that you should start with the, you know, the the priority that is ours today, which is climate change, or climate justice, and climate action. Um, I've just been to uh, New York for Climate Week, and we know what's going on in New York. You know, yeah. from uh, from the blaze that we saw over the summer. You know, the, the really hazy atmosphere to the flooding that we're seeing today. You know, we've gone from one extreme to the next. Um, and what I noticed in, uh, in New York, that, <laughs> and maybe that, that actually speaks more to my naivety. Because I, I come from a perspective where I'm looking at nature as a whole. I'm not looking at anything in silo. So... The journey, for instance, with with nature governance, particularly with this project started of, 
in in uh, December last year when we went to COP15 and we looked at biodiversity loss. Um, and we had this amazing win where Mother Nature is included now in the uh, in the framework. And then, you know, we're, we're moving on to today looking at climate change. But I don't see that these are two separate issues. No. For me, they are completely intrinsically interrelated. And as you said, when we look at climate change, what has led us to climate change is human activities. Yeah. Climate change, to my mind, is not a target. It's a consequence of our actions, right? Yeah. We have made the planet so sick with our actions, so ill, that it's running at temperature. So when we say we need to tackle the temperature, that is literally the first aid approach. Mm. That is the first thing that we have to do, which is to reduce our carbon emissions so that we can reduce the temperature, so that we can actually address the core. But even as I say this, it's like with a then, right? It's not a then. It's that we have to tackle everything at the same time. And there are enough of us out there doing it what we need, though, is more cooperation and collaboration with each other and understanding that we are not dealing with one issue or the next after the other. It's not a linear approach that we need to address here or that we need to take. It's a systemic one. Climate change is a consequence. It's an outcome. What we have to do is look at the cause of all of this, and that is human activities, deforestation, Absolutely. That is literally one of the very first, uh, you know, causes. Where does that come from? It comes from our greed, from our need to, you know, to privilege monoculture, to uh, privilege, you know, uh, um, clearing out immense spaces just so that we can actually grow whatever we want to grow for a particular industry, for a particular sector. I'm thinking, for instance, about palm oil. Right. Um, and it's not like there is anything wrong with palm oil per se. But again, it's the process that we put into this. I mean, when you look at as well at, at, you know, animal welfare, when you look at the meat industry as well and what we are doing there, that is also driving carbon emissions. But when we actually wind back, when we walk ourselves back, what we're looking at is how we treat every other Earth community on this planet. Mm. And we are treating Every single community, including, by the way, human community, when you look at modern slavery, we are treating every single communities, living communities on this earth as a commodity. We are a commodity. That's it. We are here to serve an economic system. And this is where nature governance, for me, is important because it's a reminder that we are not here to serve the economic systems, the economic system that we have. Do, do not exist in and of themselves. They would not exist but for our own existence and the fact that we have imagined them. So what we need to look at is human behavior and behind human behavior, human motivation. What motivates us to behave that way? And for me, I'm only speaking for myself here, but what I see is that we are entrenched in a, um, in a paradigm of scarcity and of fear and where we look at our needs as though they can never be fulfilled. 
And so we have the 1% who are hoarding all the money, which comes from a need, you know, the need to feel secure, the need to feel safe, the need to feel stable, and therefore, you know, hoarding money to be more powerful so that they can actually protect themselves. But protect themselves from what? From what, yeah. Yes. So, and then you have the rest of us, the 99%, literally toiling every day to make sense of life. And that's the thing. What is the meaning of life if all I'm doing is getting up in the morning to do the same thing over and over again, like Groundhog, Groundhog Day? Mm. I'm doing the same thing over and over again, where at the end of the day, I'm wondering, what was the point? What was the point of today? Where is the joy? Where is the happiness? Where do I feel that I'm actually doing something valuable, worthwhile for the community? This is why I'm interested and dedicating myself to nature governance, because I do not see a separation between what is going on in the world and what is going on in my life. Mm. What is going on in my personal life, the way that I raise my kids, the way that I get up every morning to take them to school and to start my day with work, the day that I, you know, the way that I relate with my family, with my friends, that is not at all separated from what is going on in the world with climate change, with deforestation, with ocean pollution, with the cruelty that we see in the wars that we see around, all of these are interrelated mm. events. All of these are interrelated links because we are interconnected and interrelated. And what happens to me happens to you. And what happens, you know, in Africa happens in Europe because we are all one. We are part of this earth. We are nature and we are one. Being one does not mean that we are standardized, though. It doesn't mean that we are uniform. What it means is that we are very much diverse, but we are all part of one, one being, one entity, yeah. which is Gaia, to my mind. It's a little bit like looking at your body, right? You have your hair, you have your eyes, you have your fingers, you have your feet. These are all in and of themselves, you know, individual entities but they only really make sense when you look at them in you know as a whole right yeah within the whole of you yes so it's the same with the world and diversity is not to be feared because it is the heart of life and this is what we are actually looking at today when we look at climate change when we look at you know um deforestation and ocean pollution and the wars and poverty and water scarcity and everything we are looking at life and this is what nature governance is about I because nature is life yeah right I, yeah i love that and 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 this is about as you say that interconnectedness that integration and the idea that these systems you know some of the natural systems we've just completely ignored you know it's it's almost mm. like these constructs that that we've created like you say the economic like these wouldn't exist if we didn't exist but the beauty of that is that that gives us hope and opportunity to rethink these systems as this consciousness rises there's this opportunity for i mean it, it does for me feel like people are waking up not everybody but enough people are waking up to those systems and thinking 
whoa, you know, why is that organization making billions? You know, that is not right when we've got starving communities in other parts of the world. You know, the, the balance is out. And the balance has been out for a long time. You know, this isn't a new thing, but but the consciousness of that imbalance due to communication, maybe due to the fact that we're more interconnected and visually connected and, and aware than maybe we were before, but or maybe it's a spiritual connection. Who knows? You know, COVID definitely gave us that pause aspect where we started to retreat and get quiet. And when you retreat and get quiet, you you can kind of think, you know, you've got that space to think. So the beauty of all of this is that ever hopeful, there is this opportunity to rebuild these systems. And, and nature governance to me feels like this enormous opportunity to, to kind of get back to the basics, mm-hmm. to get back to being responsible human beings. And and work in that interconnected way. And, and I know that Faith in Nature, for example, were one organization that there was a huge, um, you know, huge discussion, huge headline news about the fact that here was an organization putting nature on the board from a very practical perspective. So business has a huge role to play in taking that responsibility. I mean, we all do as individuals. But here was an organization saying, we are, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a, you know, we're not playing with this. We're deeply serious about giving nature a voice about how we continue to operate. It's integrated as part of who we are and what we do. You were part of that, that, that coming into being. Can you tell us about some of the practicalities of what that means? Actually, that sort of like leads back to um, Dennis' question as well. You know that that business has to become um, more conscious yeah. of of nature, and uh, and so I I wanted to you know to add on this point that the reason why business has to become conscious, and it might seem you know odd for some people to think, well, what does business has to do with nature? And I've been asked that question before, you know, what's the relationship between the two? And I'm like, okay, for me, it's like, again, the the relationship is inherent because business is, um, you know, business and economic systems is is uh, a human construct. It's a human creation. So what has it got to do with nature? Well, it's human-based and humans are nature. What else? Has it got to do with nature? Well, business is actually completely 100% dependent on nature. Mm. Every aspect of nature as a whole. And that, even as I use the term nature, it seems very, you know, nebulous. It is because the way that we in the Western, you know, Eurocentric Occidental world understand nature, there is an element of separation. You know, nature is outside of us. Humans are separate from nature. but that is not the case. Nature, we are nature, so we, we are within nature and nature within us. Hence the term integration, because it's like an integration in a figure of eight or a Mobius strip. You know, it's um, it's like one of those kaleidoscope kind of vision. You know, it's in and it's out at the same time. Mm. So when we talk about the integration of nature consciousness, it's to recognize and realize and and regain that understanding, that awareness that we are nature and nature is us. Okay, so businesses are inherently nature because it's nature expressing itself within a particular system. 
and businesses uh, completely rely on nature. And this is what faith in nature certainly, you know, embodies. Faith in nature. The name says it all, right? Yeah. They have faith in nature. The products that they create are based on natural, you know, resources that come from nature. Nature as in the natural environment in that sense. So when Simeon Rose and, uh, and Anne Hopkins dreamt up nature is the boss, they really, you know, uh, they went one step further. They thought, right, if, if we have faith in nature, if our whole business is completely reliant on, you know, the, the, the gift and the bounty of Mother Nature, then nature should be a stakeholder. Nature should have a voice and actually nature should be the boss. So they approached um, the Earthal Center and Lawyers for Nature. So the Earthal Center is a US-based organization and Lawyers for Nature is a British-based organization. And they approached um, these two organizations saying, okay, how can we make nature the CEO? And uh, with the help of Sherman Sterling, who is a, a legal firm um, based in the US, but with a, a branch as well in the UK, um, we started looking at how can that be made possible? And that, that's the beauty of it. What Anne and Simeon did, what faith in nature did was, you know, demonstrate uh, faith. They, they, they literally showed us a leap of faith. What would it look like? They didn't dismiss that idea as just a flight of fancy. They actually turned it into a leap of faith. And because they came to us, this really successful family-run company, to bring nature on their board, we took them seriously, obviously. Lois for Nature, Earthful Center, great. So we had a look at this. Um, I, understand, I wasn't there when, when it first started, you know, the year where, where we went through all of this uh, research and, uh, and brainstorming. I joined much later. But what I understand is that... Um, when the suggestion was made to have nature as a CEO, the question arose, what for? You know, what would be the point? And the answer that Simeon and Anne gave was that they wanted nature to have a voice, nature to be one of the stakeholders in the company to inform better decision making. And so the answer from Grant Wilson, who is the executive director of the Earthal Center, was like, well, you know, if nature is a CEO, then as a CEO, whoever represents nature, will be bogged down by day-to-day decision-making, operational decisions, you know, and that might not be what was intended. That might not be what was needed in that particular project. So the suggestion then was made that nature could be a non-executive director. So from there, well, can nature be an executive uh, direct, non-executive director? How do we do this? So that's where the whole pragmatic you know, um, stories um, began because then the way I look at it, the way I understand it is that we have three elements here, three practical elements. The first one is to look at, can this be done within the jurisdictional legal framework um, of the UK in particular here? So when you look at the UK, any natural person can become a non-executive director. 
That's very interesting. I always laugh. Sorry, I'm literally, I laugh at my own jokes. It's an unnatural person. It's <laughs> <laughs> like any natural person. Yeah. Uh, and when I first read that, I was like, wow, so nature can be on the moon, right? Who is more natural than nature? Um, but from a legal perspective, that is not what was meant. A natural person is a human being, right? And then you have a legal person. A legal person is an organization. Organizations cannot be non-executive directors in the UK. Only a natural person, i.e. a human being, can be a, 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 a director. And in this case, a non-executive director. Okay, so that was one. Secondly, then what kind of director, you know, what, what can we do with that? So you can literally just be anything. So companies have here pretty much a lot of leeway in terms of defining what kind of director they want to have, what name they want to give their director. There is nothing really restrictive. And the UK being a common law system, uh, I, I summarize this in the most, you know, simplest of ways, all right? Um, but essentially, you can pretty much do whatever you want until you're told you can't, right? Yeah. Unless there is a statute in place, fair enough. But in a common law system, there is so much more flexibility and, you know, the the ability to really create, you know, particularly here in the context of um, company law, to create something new. And that's where we saw, ooh, there's a way. Okay, where there's a will, there's a way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that was the first element, the jurisdictional legal context. There was nothing telling us that we couldn't do what we planned to do. Okay. So the second element is looking at then the articles of associations of the, of the company. What needs to happen there? What do we do? What do we change? And that's what, um, that, that, that's what happened next. We changed, well, Faith in Nature changed their articles of association. And you can see this on their website, particularly when you look at the, um, all the information, the Q&A and the, um, the book, actually the little booklet on, the, on nature on the board. It's open source. So it's, the information is right there for everybody to, to have access to. What Faith in Nature did is um, integrate a new obligation. So the obligation, the initial obligation, obviously, was to the shareholders, right? And it's a case of, you know, it's profit driven. But they included a new obligation. And this obligation is to also protect nature, to, to be answerable to nature. So the, the obligation is not just to the stakeholders to create profit, but also to be a force for good for the natural environment. And in the context of faith in nature, nature is understood as the natural environment in particular. And so two obligations for the board. One is a negative obligation to not make any decisions that may have an adverse impact on the natural environment. And two, a positive obligation to make decisions that promote the welfare, the well-being uh, of the natural environment. So what you have here is that within the Articles of Association and the constitutional documents, there is now an obligation on the board to consider nature as one of the stakeholders. So we have a, nat we have a director that represents, or rather we have nature as director on the board, right? Not a nature director. And for yeah. me, the terminology is really important yeah. because 
if you say it's a nature director, it's the same as saying it's a marketing director, yeah, right? Yeah. Or it's a finance director. Yeah. Or, or you know, it, it essentially it's someone who's in charge of. Yeah. But the nature nature director here is not in charge of nature. It's nature as director. And this is what is so incredible because here you have like this triangular relationship. You have nature as a director that has a responsibility towards the company and the company that now has a responsibility towards nature. Yeah. Right. And then you have the proxy because how do you include nature on the board? Right. How do you speak with nature? How do you listen to nature? How do you take into consideration the views of nature because we are inherently anthropocentric business is anthropocentric the business system the economic system is anthropocentric a corporation is anthropocentric a business is anthropocentric because it's made up of human beings right and generally for human beings so these are inherently anthropocentric system that will require human beings to be there hence the director has to be a natural person but what we are doing with nature as a director and with a human proxy that represents nature is that that proxy has to learn to become the representative of nature. So what does that mean? Is it a proxy that speaks for nature, that speaks with nature, that speaks as nature? Personally, I think it's all of this. All of those, yeah. It's all of those in different contexts, in different situations and I know that we are a society that is so addicted to predictability to you know rigidity and we have to know exactly what is what and we like to have our our rules and our laws and our processes and we have to know exactly what's going to happen from a to point b but the reality of it is that nature is not predictable not always, not all the time. Nature is unpredictable. Nature is agile. Nature is organic and dynamic. Therefore, we have to learn to become comfortable with the uncomfortable, with the unknown, with the liminal space, with what is not actually seen so easily. So being the proxy for nature to me mm means that, and this is when I stepped in, because I, even though I understood that for faith in nature, nature in this sense meant the natural environment, my practice meant also looking at nature in a much broader spectrum, which is what is the nature of being and what is the nature of being a proxy? What is the nature of being a human being as nature? What is the nature of our relationships between directors between you know the members of faith and natures, between you know the, the co-proxy because uh, you know my co-proxy Bronte Ansel also had has her own practice of being a proxy, being the voice of nature. So I was looking at also what is the nature of business and what is the nature of the business of faith in nature, right? So each time the questions that would come into my mind was what is the nature of. Ooh. And what does it mean here? So it's complex, it's yeah. systemic, it's holistic. So when you step in as a proxy, to me, you are, especially at the very beginning, you are stepping into a space where you are to learn how to weave new ways of thinking, new ways of 
apprehending, you know, elements of reality and new ways of relating. So the the practice and the oh you know the experience of stepping in as a proxy was very very much cultural now culture means a way of life nature is life so what was going to be the culture faith in nature with nature on the board Mm-hmm. And that's the third strand. Remember, I mentioned that there are three strands to me yes. in this, in, uh, you know, embodiment or incorporation. The first one is the legal framework. The second one is the uh, company structural framework, you know, the articles of association and a constitutional element. And the third element is the governance culture. The mm-hmm. third element is the practice on the ground of what it means. And that's where the the imagination of the human beings at the heart of this story is crucial because we did not, you know, start with the idea of having a director that would govern nature. The point was that faith in nature wanted nature as the director. So the question then was for the proxies, how do I embody nature as a director? where it's not about me trying to tell faith in nature what they need to do, what they have to be, what are the the steps that they have to take in order to meet this and this and this and this target. That's not how I looked at it. What I wanted to do was, how can I help faith in nature understand a new way of relating amongst each other from a nature perspective? And by the way, it's not like they were doing anything new because faith in nature had essentially been practicing this. For years, you know, this is what I discovered as, as I was going along. The the question that they asked themselves, what would nature say? You know, they would find the answer over time. And, and, and again, even bringing nature on the board is not the culmination of anything that needed to happen. It was a natural development, a natural flow of evolution to integrate nature consciousness at the decision-making processes, so at the heart, in the brain, shall we say, of the company. It was a natural process of evolution to, you know, to allow faith in nature really to grow into the next, um, into this century, really, Um, because that is really stepping into the future here. You know, you were saying, what is the role of businesses? That is the role of businesses. The role of businesses is to provide a service to society that is worthwhile. And that is what faith in nature has been doing. That is what faith in that. That is one of the philosophy of faith in nature, really, to help, uh, you know, customers to help. And and even when we use the term customers, I don't mean this at all in a pejorative way. I mean, you know, faith in nature considers their customers as a community. Of human beings who all want to be involved in their own way at their own level in being a force for good in this world. So integrating the voice of nature as the natural environment seemed like an absolute natural step forward. And the idea was that how would nature influence, impact, inform us into making the right decisions in alignment? So when I said integrating nature is not, uh, you know, uh, the culmination of, of, of a particular project, what I mean is like it's not the finish line. It's yeah. the starting block. Yeah. yeah. 
right? And so faith in nature now is embarking on the next level of evolution and development, um, you know, way ahead of many other companies already. Um, and, and the thing is like, and this is what I really witnessed and what I really loved and appreciated. There was the, the, because I'm, so I completed my tenure at, at Faith in Nature over the summer. I did a one-year tenure with them. So I don't know where they are heading next. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to finding out because, you know, taking a bit of a, a, of a, of a back step and then seeing what happens next is, is always really interesting. Um, I was there to, to, to help in as much as I could, you know, looking at that introspection, reflective element, you know, that to look at the culture of, of uh, Faith in Nature in, in moving forward with the voice of nature. But what I mean is what I'm interested to see is how they're going to lead that experience forward because yes. it's a cultural development here. Yeah. So it it's not a case of we're going to do all of these things. They're not aiming for targets per se. They're aiming for the real deep cultural evolution. And I'm saying this because a lot of organizations think that, you know, looking at carbon emissions, looking at, you know, SDGs or or ESG or any target, right, is what they have to do to demonstrate that they are doing something for nature. But that's, sorry to say that, but sometimes to me, it looks like painting by numbers, yeah. right? What really matters is what we do at the at the root level. Are the roots healthy? Because if the roots are healthy, the fruits will bear themselves, you know, in a beautiful way. But if the roots are not healthy, then the fruits are just going to reflect that, right? And the targets are the fruits. What matters is how do we reach these targets in a way that is regenerative, in a way that is eventually sustainable. And I believe that this is what faith in nature is intrinsically doing by bringing the voice of nature on their board, which was what they wanted, bringing the voice of nature on the board so that it would inform the board to make more aligned decisions with their values and their principles that are, you know, nature-based. Unfortunately, we ran out of time in this episode, but don't worry because we'll be back in two weeks' time with more from Alexandra. So be sure to tune in as we continue the conversation and talk about the role of law in sustainability and having to find the courage to do something different. We'll see you then.